Hello and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends where we're going to talk about No Time to Die again. So if you haven't seen the film yet, you probably listened to the wrong podcast because it's been out for like two weeks. But please press pause, go see the film, come back, hear all about it. Um, so this week we're going to look at some of the Easter eggs, um, little details we noticed, callbacks to previous films maybe that are in the film that we've kind of spotted over one or two viewings. And this week we are joined by David Lee, Ben Williams, Tom Butler, Sean Longmore, and Dr. Lisa Funnel. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi there. This is David Lee. I run the jamesbonddossier.com. I'm also author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond and currently enjoying a Mount Gay rum and coke. Hello, uh, I'm Ben Williams. Um, I didn't write The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond, but I did, <laughs> but I have drunk them all. Um, <laughs> In one sitting. In one sitting. Um, I, I occasionally write for MI6 Confidential Magazine and the magazine, uh, sorry, and the website. We're really all good today, aren't we? And the website, mi6hq.com, home of James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm uh, Tom Butler. I'm a film journalist, website editor at Yahoo, and uh, I also am the co-host of the James Bond A to Z podcast. Hello, I'm Sean Longmore, um, and I'm a graphic designer, and I sometimes do James Bondy stuff. And I'm Dr. Yeah, Lisa do. Funnel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a university professor, award-winning author, and podcaster, specializing in gender in the James Bond films and other action spectacles. Alrighty, so before we get into uh, kind of going around the table and things we spot in the film, Mr. Tom, uh, we haven't had your take on the film over the couple of episodes we've kind of done like reviews for so would you like to tell us what you think of it sure yeah well i've seen it twice now and the first time i saw it was uh the same time with uh, with sean in fact we sat next to each other and um i think um that from that experience uh, i think like most people i was just pretty much shell-shocked from the film um and it was only really a few days later when I was able to see it a second time that I was really able to sort of get a grasp on what I really thought about the film. And I've come to the conclusion that I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think it's big, it's bold, it's funny. And um, it's, I mean, it's going to be divisive. It's already proven to be divisive, but I'm falling on the side of, yeah, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And um, yeah, what what more is there to say, really? I guess... I'm excited to dig into the details because one of the things that we found after watching the film was every five minutes we'd be like, oh, and then this happened. Oh, and I forgot that this happened. Uh, so I think it's just a, it's a great film to dig into the details of. So, uh, yeah, thanks for letting me come on to this one. Absolutely. So um, just to get the, the usual one out of the way first, who spotted Michael G. Wilson first time around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Absolutely, I did. Um, I think it might be my positioning in the in the theatre when I saw it. I, I was basically like right where he was, like because I was quite left of, script, of of the screen. So he's he sort of he seemed very prominent to me. So I did spot him. Yeah, I I think I said in uh, in uh, the the previous podcast that it's the first film that I ha haven't had to have him pointed out to me. So that's a first for me. Uh, I was quite happy with that, and uh, so I. I, I patted myself on the back. <laughs> What's he wearing? Is he wear, is he in military attire? Yes. Mm. Yeah. So it, could yes. it be another character he's played before? Ooh. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Some general or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe he got promoted um, from the Russian uh, <laughs> government from Goldeneye. 
Yeah. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he also a general in, I'm going to say the words, die another day? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he was. Um, So... So it's possible. I, maybe, maybe there's the next Bond film can just be like instead of like a big kind of uh, scary looking uh, acidic waters, we just have like cloning tanks of Michael G. Wilson um, <laughs> in various different like attire. Like, is it like pocket mortis? Collect them all. Yeah, collect all your mortis. But then they get sent out into the world <laughs> to do like the nefarious biddings of yeah. Do we get Michael A. Wilson, Michael B. Wilson? With G, we perfected him. <laughs> you have to hunt down the first ones and kill them, yeah. <laughs> it's a film I'd watch. <laughs> oh, the maybe is maybe, maybe Amazon will do that. Spin <laughs> off. Uh, for those who didn't catch him, he's he's in his military attire and the Spectre Party, isn't he? And you see him on the um, from the robotic eye cam as the, the mm. pan in the room in huh. kind of like a night vision thing. The one that leapt out to me on first viewing was the and we tweeted this and a lot of people complained we were tweeting spoilers, but I don't know how spotting a painting spoils the film. But um, the painting of Robert Brown is M mm. at MI6, mm-hmm. which has frankly fucked up all kinds of continuity arguments about M now. Mm-hmm. Um, I see I see it as more of like his a tribute to one of the actors that played M and that's it. There's no like overarching maybe they should have had uh, portraits of Roger Moore and Sean Connery in there. Inflamed Twitter. They're just on Bond's garage. They're just on the on the wall you can't see. You can't <laughs> <next Yeah. car. laughs> I was yeah, uh, behind I, I, a dust sheet. You're right. I had this uh, <laughs> argument about how it now confirms, you know, uh, that he was a, a different M. But then somebody said, "But you know, if your argument is also that it's a pocket universe, then none of that makes sense either. You know, you can't have it both ways." And I kind of went, "Yeah, fair enough." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the the fandom was pretty split about whether um, Admiral Hargreaves becomes M, right? Um, after yeah. Bernard Lee departs uh, and Furious only, uh, but um, Octopus, sorry, but um, I was as a kid, I always thought it was a different M. So, I, I so, didn't, I didn't so get into did this. I. So like, did I, James. But yeah, um, you know, and but there's this thing. Well, Bond actor changes, and I can accept that. Why can't I right. accept a different actor playing the same M? But uh, there you go. It's all very, very pertinent questions for a podcast on, on, on this no, late, no, 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 latest no. film. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sean, you came with a list of notes that we I've didn't get to when we did our two and a half hour thingy a couple weeks ago. Yes, I've got lots of lots of notes. Um, a lot, a lot of them were like technically crazy thingies, but I've also got like lots of little things I've spotted on repeat watches. So I'm going for my fourth watch on Sunday, mm-hmm. um, but. I would recommend to anyone who's going for a second watch, if you can, and I say this to a lot of people, go see it in IMAX. Um, you'll see a lot more. Um, the projection's a lot brighter, so you'll notice a lot mm. more than that too. God damn it. I should, should never have moved here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so in terms of what I spotted, what did I spot? Um, at the very start, the gun barrel. We're going right at the start. 
Um, because there was a lot of controversy with the last gun barrel, the Spectre one, because Craig waves the gun about before he turns. Um, in this one, it's better, but you still can kind of see it. So sorry to hate to ruin that to anybody. But there's a lovely kind of silver nod. Um, the whole sort of effect effect goes back to the Skyfall one. It's kind of like silver shaded mm. rather than the black and white thing that we're used to. I don't know. Is that, the, is that what the inside of a gun barrel looks like? Well, um, what, what amused me was in all the publicity, they used the 1960s gun barrel motif mm-hmm. um, and not the one from the film itself. I do. I do wonder if that was element of surprise. Yeah, it would have been a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, do you know? I, I I didn't notice there was no blood on on the um, gun barrel. It it wasn't until afterwards somebody pointed it out to me. I I knew there was something wrong, but it, I I hadn't. I couldn't put my finger on it. Mm. I think your mind's eye just painted it in. Yeah, maybe. I, I do like. I do actually like the the transition's really nice i think it's my sort of second favorite kind of certainly in the in the craig era i I think what they did with craig in casino royale that was a fantastic gun barrel i really liked that yeah and i and i liked how this was also a kind of an interpretation although closer to the to the kind of the traditional gun barrel it was still kind of uh, a slight variation on it and i think it i think it was very effective i liked the way that um, you know, the traditional kind of iris in that they used to do uh, was kind of paid homage to. It didn't quite iris in in, in that old way, but um, I like the I like the way that the action of the ground kind of reflected up into the into the gun barrel itself and kind of really brought you brought you into the action in that way. Um, I thought it was very effective. So do you think the lack of blood is a stylistic choice because of the white snow or here's a bit of a random thought that because it's shooting, it's pointing down into the sky <laughs> that yeah. maybe it's, it's shooting a drone or something like that. I, I don't know. That, yeah. And there is no blood, but um, yeah. my, my gut instinct is it's because it's, it's the red and the, and the snow. Yeah. I, I think you, I think you're right in, in the sense that you can't, you can't have the blood come down and then transition into the, you know, into the white. I don't know. That's just my. I, I had a different thought about this, which was that it's a signal that uh, Bond doesn't get it, uh, doesn't get it, doesn't get the film to go his own way this time, and uh, he doesn't <laughs> uh-huh. make it. So it, it's a, it's a, it's some symbolism right from the start. Interesting. That's how I read it. That it was mm. a signifier that he was going to die. That he wasn't going to be effective in that regard. Or it could be even a symbol that he no longer, at least for a portion of the film, doesn't have a license to kill. Mm. So shooting and causing blood, you're kind of just committing murder. Mm. There's um, some lovely symmetry with it with the um, final shot of the film as well, which is the two um, headlights from the um, Aston Martin. Like sort of, they sort of fade into the tunnel. It all fades into one white dot. So I guess like, maybe it's something to do with like just coming full circle in a way. Hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. There, there's something that just springs to mind that uh, after after we saw the film the first time, my wife said to me, "Well, yeah, but how how does the Aston Martin drive at night?" And I said, "What do you mean?" She said, well, it's got the machine guns where the headlights should be. <laughs> <laughs> 
I pointed out that they, they the headlights actually dropped into the car to let the machine guns out. But yeah, <laughs> focus on this film. In a, in a quite a bit of the promotions, they they were talked about the LED uh, number plates rather than having them rotate, and I didn't see that used in the film at all. I was just no, about to mention that it's in the book as well, um, yeah. but I didn't notice it. Huh? I didn't notice it either. That's something I will try to pick up on. Uh, I mean, I've always found that that kind of idea to be kind of a little bit anachronistic considering that it's a 1964 Aston Martin you know you're not yeah you're not gonna see (laughs) that many around can you imagine like the APB goes out to all the cops like look out for an Aston Martin DB5 it's BMT124 whatever it is (laughs) it's like oh one went past us but it's got Italian plates can't be him Yep. <laughs> clearly, it matches the matches the description of the driver as well. But uh, yeah, no, it's not. It's not him. <laughs> but but the um the, the Aston Martin DB5, I, I yeah, there's part of me which uh, thinks that it's way overused. But uh, in in No Time to Die, I, I loved it. That that was that was part of the film I, I really really did love. It was just it was perfect. It was a great car chase, even though you'd never be able to do that with a real Aston Martin DB5. But uh, uh, there you go. Not with that. Uh, not with that. That um, that rear axle being just like a lump. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need you need a, a limited uh, diff to, to kind of do those kinds of things. Fortunately, it was a BMW. So <laughs> you'll get you'll get complaints coming in. So. Oh dear! What was your next thing, Sean? I know what. So it did lots of stuff. Um, I, 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 it'd be lovely to um, what to know what you, you guys thought of sort of the general sort of um, aesthetic of the film, um, and in particular something that stuck out with me was the cinematography of it, um, and the color palette mm. as well. In particular, um, I. Briefly mentioned this on Twitter with somebody, um, but how skin tones are very mm. um, shot very differently and coloured very differently in this film. So you get lots of lovely sort of reds and purples in people's skin tones. Even in sort of the more heated scenes, you mm. still get some quite unnaturalistic lighting. Um, and I think that's a really good sort of signifier that this film is a much more escapist movie compared to what we've seen previously with Craig. Um, but it's kind of just a lovely subconscious thing straight away. Yeah, I agree the, with that. The colour on the boat scene with um, Logan Ash and, and Felix is, mm-hmm. is spectacular. Um, I think that's uh, that. And then also the stuff in the Jamaican nightclub as well really stands out as, you're right, mm-hmm. like real heightened colours being used. Um, and then also that sort of whole idea that film shot every single scene shot at sunset, um, which just adds another yeah. uh, layer of vibrancy to it all as well. Um, I think it's one of the most beautiful looking Bond films, I think, for sure, alongside On a Majesty's Secret Service, which obviously this film Emulation. plays a lot of. Yeah, yeah homage to. I was going to say to to Sean, like I think said on on one of the last ones that we've talked about that that, that um, Naga doesn't really rely on shot reaction shot. Um, uh, which is a really like, as opposed to Martin Campbell, who really, really relies very heavily on shot reaction shot, which I, I think works very well for, for Campbell's directive style. But it's it. I think it changes the the feel of how of how the the environment moves, and it just it it's it's not just beautifully shot, but it's but it's kind of like 
well directed and edited as well to kind of just create this uh as, as sean just said a kind of a more uh fantasy uh feel to it i, I felt especially at the end i know it's given to the end but um the part where they're loading madeline and um matilda onto the boat and stuff and the way the light was coming through it did seem dreamlike that whole sequence the way it was lit it reminded me sorry to say james uh, like it, that there was a lot of third man quality mm. to, to, mm. to 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 the lighting and also i i i I saw like kind of German expressionism in there, the way that these like these heavy shafts of light and, and contrasting between black and white, um, especially, you know, really particularly in the, in the last act was, was very prevalent. And um, yeah, again, it, it creates a kind of a surrealist quality, like that whole uh, environment. You also don't get, one of the things they did in the third man was they, they didn't have a huge amount of like those underground tunnels to shoot in. So they would shoot different angles back and forth to kind of create this sense of, of a bigger space. But in doing so, you also create, uh, you don't get a linear sense of, of, of connectivity. And one of the things that they did in the beginning with the Batera sequence was that they, they gave you a sense of the geography of the town. But when you get into the, the, the Japanese base at the end, um, that geography goes out of the window really and it becomes a much more kind of labyrinthine surrealist kind of experience yeah which is odd considering they try they i think they try and use the qdar as a way of establishing that geography but it doesn't really work does it no and i I almost wish that they 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 weren't trying to establish a geography i think that it's kind of got this debauche um kind of surrealist labyrinthine quality that i i i actually like to have i like to feel like we're we're lost in there with bond you know and it is um it it creates for you as as the audience a similar sort of sense of like disorientation and i think that that's something that you can use very effectively it's it's interesting there was something i spotted on our last watch was when they're um running through all those corridors and different rooms there seemed to be a lot of pass through and a lot of sets that they pass through in on Poison Island that they kind of don't stop and focus on and they look really lovely. I think at one point um, there's a conversation between Bond and Madeline and they're in what looks like some kind of briefing or conference room Mm. and it's kind of covered up, but they don't stop and linger on it. It's only like a minute and then they go straight through. So Mm. I, I, it's really interesting on, I'd love to know whether that was a kind of like, well, we built this set and we're deliberately not showing a lot of it or, is actually is some of that mm. stuff what was hanging over from the Danny Boyle construction. And right. so they were like, well, we've got to use it. So we'll use mm. it this way. Or, there is, or it was cut for time, you know? Mm. Mm. There is talk in the making of book about um, how, how Bond and Safin's meeting originally took place somewhere different in, in, in Poison Island. Um, so there may be some of that involved. One of the bits when they're passing through one of the corridors that I really like is when you see the big Monet paintings on the wall. Right, um, which I only noticed. I think I noticed the first time, but like really paid attention to the second time. And I think that almost is—is is it almost a nod to Doctor No? You know, him having mm. the the works of art within his within his his lair. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a, a lovely touch. Yeah, it struck me that they were like unpacking. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'd forgotten that, and yes, until this moment, yes, exactly that thought. So where where was he living before? <laughs> um, I, I I think Dalston. 
<laughs> I think he had a, I think he had a flat above a kebab shop in Dalston. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was a fire in a kebab. It, it was a fire in the kebab shop that caused all the scars. It was nothing to do that's with that's right. Family. But they were yeah. absolutely and and the the poisonous element uh, of of the nanobots was actually taken from yeah. directly from a kebab. Yeah, but it wasn't a kebab. It was some kind of hero. Oh my <laughs> god! That joke again. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I set it up. I set it up. <laughs> oh man! Oh, man. Um, I guess there's a can of worms we can open here. Um, yeah. In a kebab shop. In a kebab shop. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, so one thing, and I can see why this probably annoys a lot of people. But I really like. I love the ambiguity of it, and I love being able to walk out of a film and go, "This was one thing. This was." And kind of make up my own mind. Was Safin Doctor No? Originally. Like, well, even even if he was originally, point. or is it just a case of you? How did you feel when you came out the film? I felt that Fukunaga shot about six versions of the story, and they edited to, they edited the stuff together they liked, and then all the other stuff fell off the off the wayside. Mm. Well, uh, I I mean I, I I don't see much of of Doctor No in there, but um, Calvin had a a very good ob- observation, which is when Safin is shot by Madeline at the beginning when mm-hmm. as a kid. Uh, he she shot him in the heart and dr no in the book had his heart on the wrong side and he was he was shot by the chinese triad uh, gangs and uh, he survived only because he had his heart on the wrong side so i think maybe there is something there i i mean i, I we had this whole conversation phil disagrees but uh i i actually think calvin may be right there yeah, I I I I agree with David because in that, that in that last trailer drop where you see that he he gets shot in the heart and he wakes up. Um, before I saw the movie, I was like, well, that's definitely a reference. I was just like, that's definitely a reference to Doctor No. And then obviously with the with the Japanese no masks as well, and he is technically a, he's a doctor in the sense that he is kind of, um, you know, he's creating this virus or whatever, or well, at least someone someone calls him Doctor towards the yeah. end, one of his henchmen. Uh, Ah, okay. Well, in which case, I feel like there is more. Yeah, it it it. That I think it's a valid interpretation. I don't. I didn't necessarily feel like this was the Doctor No, but I felt like for maybe for Craig's bubble universe, that was that was what you were going to get for Doctor No. Probably, probably they just they just took that from the book. It you know it's one of those yeah. you know one of the the the, the micro uh, Fleming Flemingisms that remains and uh, they just took that and so he you know he he was dr no in that sense there was there was also some speaking of like using things from you only have twice the moment the golden gun books there was some chatter i think about one of the cat one of the <clears throat> one of the characters shooting birds um oh, right yeah which is a lift from obviously the man with the golden gun which mm. either that was in an early draft or they didn't bother with it in the end but I, i'm with the camp that just thinks that Purvis and Wade were like clearing the cupboard out on this film. <laughs> they, um, and there's yeah, also, go ahead. No, sorry, go on, Dr. Lisa. Oh, I was just going to say there's also like random Dr. No visual references, like the dots that show up in the, mm-hmm. you know, the, pre, the, the, the title sequence. You have the references to the scientists on 
Saffin's Island wearing the Dr. No hazmat suits, which I've always wanted one during COVID. So I was like, ooh, <laughs> look at that. I feel as though they've utilized some imagery, but I definitely side with James on this that probably some iteration he was supposed to be Dr. No or a version of Dr. No, but then they pulled the character through revisions and took it away. But they've kept some of these Dr. No-ish elements. And maybe, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, that Sean says when you leave and you're sort of open to interpretation, maybe the whole point is to keep us guessing if Safin is Dr. No and not making it so incredibly defined in contrast to the way that they sort of bash us over the head with the Honor Majesty Secret Service references. I feel as mm-hmm. though there's leaning and there's referencing of so many other Bond texts. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like a misdirect. That's why there is value in going to see it a second time because you're so overwhelmed the first time by, of course, the the ending. But when you go in a second and third time, you can start seeing that these references are, are peppered throughout. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say that, uh, sorry to keep bringing up the, the making of book, but um, mm-hmm. they talk about Safin's introduction at the start uh, in the pre-title sequence and how that was originally conceived as Safin and a henchman. And the reason that you see Safin get shot dead and then um, uh, and then he rises again is that originally what happened was the henchman got shot dead and then mm. Safin turned up and did the second thing. So that idea of him being shot in the heart and then coming back to life is a retcon, really, and it's just a, mm. a way of like right. c- consolidating those two characters. Um, and they talk in the book as well about how he Safin had a completely different mask, and it was the henchman that had the no mask on, and Safin had like this spiked mask that he wore, um, and then they just decided to stick with the the white mask and put him in the white costume um, in tribute to. A view to a kill. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Does he get a ding? <laughs> there we go. It should be an err. <laughs> How very dare you! Well, um, that that to your point, Tom, about they like, consolidate the characters. Some of that doesn't work when you consolidate it because Madeline's seen from overhead, dragging his body out with a big blood streak, right in the snow, mm-hmm. and then later when he's shooting um, the ice to get her out. Uh, there's no blood on his back. Oh, yeah. Mm. Continuity. Yeah. Mm. But I'd, yeah, I'd, I also just feel like there is the, the one thing, and this isn't really an observation, this is more just like the age discrepancy thing just right. bugging the hell out of me. Like, yeah, it's, was, it's, how, that's... was he 10 when he did this? What, what, what was happening? Was he 15 years old and... When he turned, I don't know. It just feels like he he didn't age at all. And I think mm. I mentioned this on one of the other podcasts. Like it was one of the things that initially threw me. I was like, "Is this dangerous new technology that Safin has? Is it something about you know stopping your stopping your aging?" Or yeah, I you know I, a I fountain of youth, a fountain of youth. And I genuinely thought like so. First of all, when we see Safin get shot, I thought, "Well, he's, he's sprung up from the dead, so it must be this nanobot thing he's got or whatever, right?" And then the second thing was when, um, uh, you know, Primo gets his uh, gets first gets choked by Bond. I thought, oh yeah, he's he's de- very dead, and then he pops up again. And I was like, oh, maybe he's got these things as well. And then it turned out that that was none of that was true. I was just making it up as I was watching it. And, <laughs> you know. but think about how powerful it would have been 
if you were to have an actor who was, say, 15 years old or 14 years old, there's a different physique as mm-hmm. you are growing up, be the person to shoot and kill. I think that that would have added a little bit more of a, of a different dimension. And it's something I talk about with my students when we talk about films like The Hunger Games, the fact that they actually cast adults playing children um, mm. in order to just lessen the blow that it's 12, 13, and 14-year-olds killing each other off. And that that right. leaves a different type of punch. And so I just, I th- actually think it would have been more effective. I think it would have led to us not questioning Madeline Swan enough in the beginning, but I, the visual of having a younger person try to kill her mother and kill her would mm. have been effective. And I also had like a, a discrepancy about the actual shooting. So you see him come into her bedroom and she shoots multiple times and the way his body reacts, it looks like he's hit multiple times. If you actually just watch, it looks like he's reacting. And then on his coat, there's only one hole, which I was just like, that's a really great coat if it can deflect bullets that way. (laughs) But I felt that the acting itself in that scene, and we've talked about continuity with then the visual components of it, I felt that there was a bit of a discrepancy there. Oh, oh she's a she's a very very good shot, and she put all the bullets through one hole. Right, you know. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Imagine being shot five times in the heart in the same place. You know, like, oh, oh, ah, ooh, and again, ow. Yeah. No, but I, I, I honestly, I, I, I agree completely because he, he, she, yeah, she shoots, yeah, she shoots five or six times, and uh, he, you can see that he's hit. But yeah. uh, there's no evidence afterwards. It, rem- it reminds me of, of the bit when um, Bond is standing in front of Vesper's um, tomb, and you know he holds the he holds the the card up in his hand, and he reacts before the explosion. He's like, "Oh no!" And then mm. then the thing goes off, and it's kind of like. So how how did you know that that was going to blow up? Do you just well, re- if if you found a Spectre card anywhere, you, you'd react like that. I would probably run away or yeah. I don't know. I mean, if they'd have had a big sort of ticking, ticking noise or something, <laughs> you know, just something to kind of let you realize that he knows that this is a bomb rather than just him re- like somehow knowing. <laughs> Two red LEDs in Vespa's eyes glow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some comedy dynamite on the You know, the, bo- the bottom part of her mouth just goes like, I should have poisoned the card. That would have got him. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Why didn't they do That's that? He would, and he wouldn't have known. He'd have just picked that up and then boom, he's dead. And they wouldn't have even had to blow up Vesper. The, the, the difficulty... <laughs> James Bond um, will return. <laughs> yeah. The difficulty would have, would have taken to, you know, like get up into that tomb, like exhume the body, put a bunch of dynamite in there, you know, do they put her back in there? What's happened to her? It's bits of Vespa flying okay. around now. And why? Okay, she died in Venice, so why is she in the south of Italy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know what nationality Vespa is supposed to be in the film. You know, she she's got a bit of a, a French accent, and so, but then. Uh, I think probably she's not really supposed to be French because uh, because. <laughs> Her adoptive parents, right, were from that town. Yeah, so that's where mm. she, that's that's where she goes back to. Even though, and she and even though she was French through birth, right, she somehow miraculously through muscle memory perhaps got a French accent. Or and works maybe, for the British government. And works for the British. Government. Who knows? 
I, I will I will come will come up with a, uh, an answer for that, but I think that's probably it. adoptive. I'm going to go with adoptive parents, um, or they just had a special on that month. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's called it's called a tax break. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, the, you've got a good point there, uh, Ben, because I know in the south of Italy that they sell uh, they, they're selling houses in some villages for like a euro each because because right. uh, they <laughs> they get this mass exodus of people. Um, and so they, it just leaves uh, well, all the OAP. blowing up is really going to help them out. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think another workaround to this, and this is just attaching it to something that I noticed. So leading into this, if you look at the costuming of Madeline Swan, she's wearing a red wrap dress, although it has flowers on it. And it's very reminiscent of Vesper Lynn's wrap mm. dress at the end. And I felt that the whole point of this was to try to bring the two of them somewhere geographically similar or closer to where Bond and Vesper had their relationship and trying to like, just like play off that image. I I, I have a problem with the whole motivation of Madeline going there. And I get it that it's kind of like closure, but it's almost like, where should we go on honeymoon? Let's go to the gravesite of your dead girlfriend. I'm going to wear a very similar dress to mind you. It's like, "Mm." Yeah, it's a little on the nose and a little weird <laughs> to do that. Um, I mean, correct me. I mean, you know, comment if 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 you have taken your new spouse to the gravesite of their uh, previous partner, please let us know in the comments. <laughs> I, I actually did that. I actually did that with my ex-wife. Um, I took her to the grave of my first wife and just said, you know, this this could be you. <laughs> you play your cards wrong mr bond and, and weirdly enough yeah didn't end well but there we go um uh, I, I was, you, you ought to you ought to remind everyone that she's still alive she i think is, she is she is definitely still still alive and uh and well <laughs> um you know, she's provided for all the food that she needs and oxygen. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, there's a there's a pipe for her to to bash on if she needs to get attention. It's <laughs> anyway. This is going down a very 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 dark dark road, and I'm uh, I would I'd like to bring it back by saying uh, <laughs> I I thought and just coming back to kind of what 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 um, Sean was talking about with cinematography. I just I, I i had a i had a weird kind of english patient kind of vibe going on with this like that kind of that warmth and richness and like some of the some of those big kind of nice scopey kind of shots that you see with uh, Mingala and you know i i i thought that there there was some some of that dynamism in the in in in, in the kind of the aerial shots as well that kind of reminded me of that you must have completely freaked out when M-, M gets involved in the film. Well, well, quite, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, what happened was he he went back to that cave. He went, oh, whoops, um, and then left to become head of the Secret Service. And quote, <laughs> yeah, that that's that's my take on 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 how that how that works. I I have to say, I I think it's a terrible. Antina Geller was was like high up in my list of like um, dream Bond directors for a while there, 
uh, I thought that he would have done a really nice um, nice job on 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 a Bond movie. Um, so it's, it's sad that he he uh, he passed. Although uh, who knows? So on the subject of Madeline, I've got one that I spotted, which was, um, and it struck me as odd in the um, on the first watch, like why they would call this out. But when Safin goes to her office and he calls out like, oh, that's a pretty foxglove you got there sitting in the vase. Did you pick it out? Um, it's like, well, what? other than the backstory of his dad liking plants, like why do that? Well, foxgloves are digitalis purpureus, and that digitalis is the toxin that Valenka uses to poison Bond's martini and Casino Royale. Ah. And so as Mr. White was head of poisons at Spectre, apparently, some extra retcon they threw into this film, um, did Mr. White give Valenka the little thingy to pour into his martini? But I I wonder if this comes from Fleming. I'll I'll have to to look at You Only Live Twice and see if that's one of the poisons mentioned. I don't know. It's Mm. just um, head of poisons. You know, it's not the promotion that you might have been hoping for is it right you know congratulate but, mr white on his promotion on linkedin to head of poisons head of poisons <laughs> uh, what's the bonus deal like with that um you know it's all the poisons you need all the poisons you could want do you then do you then like i, I would wonder if like what the structure is of spectre you know like is he because is he like i thought mr white was originally i mean his had so much retconning this character fucking hell you know, you go from just being like this kind of shadowy broker to being yeah. you know, Bond's Bond's father-in-law. I I, I really liked him to, to start with, and uh, yeah, it's... it seems really strange that he went suddenly to become an assassin. And I mean, okay, yeah, he does technically he does go and assassinate, um, you know, uh, Le Chiffre, but it, he doesn't. Yeah, but that's he... one of his own, though, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, he, and that's he, like, he that's he like you're fired, right? I mean, that's, yeah, he, that's pretty he didn't much poison him, though. You should no, have he poisoned didn't. him. Well, it was a poisoned bullet. You didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very effective. Yeah, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, so you imagine Spectre HQ and uh, you get invited to go and see Mr. White and <laughs> sit down and he says, well, what's your poison? <laughs> yeah, nobody's ever had a drink in his office. <laughs> are you, so, are you saying that this p- picture is in Madeline Swan's office? No, she's got fox no, gloves, the flowers in a vase she, on her desk. Oh, she actually office. has it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. and he says, "Be careful if you eat them; they'll cause your heart to." And then, like a five-second pause, stop. Is what he says. Um, yeah. And that was her lunch. Is, what was she, she going to have for lunch now? <laughs> but do you think she knew it through that exchange? Like, it's one of those things where I just wonder how much she was in the know about, say, plants and nature and things like that, or if she thought it was just pretty, or if she knew it was her father's favorite. Like, I just, I kind of just have, I have lots of questions about questions. Mr. White that I want to know. Like, I want to know what's in his rooms and what's on all the tapes, but I also want to know the degree to which the like, I just want to know what he told to his daughter and her background. Like, did she know that it was poison or not? How aligned was she with the type of work that he did? Or is this just one of those things where he he often had it around? And so it's just this, this sentimental element that's there, but she doesn't realize how dangerous, just like she loved her father, but she didn't realize how fully dangerous he was. I'm just trying to understand, like, there are these references, but like, 
I just want a little bit more information so that I know what that relationship was. If you pause it, there's a bookshelf in the background uh, behind Madeline. um, And on that bookshelf, one of the books is Mr. White's Big Book of Poisons. Uh, (laughs) And that, I think, is where she... You know, she obviously found that in her in her dad's cupboard, and just was like, "Yeah, I'll read that." And that's that's where she learned all she yeah. knows. So basically, I think what we can can, can what we can conclude is that if Bond hadn't been blown up on the island, it w- it would have just been a matter of time before he just had some foxglove tea, and that would yeah. have been it anyway. It anyway, done. so yeah. uh, Bond was never going to survive to Bond twenty six. This sorry, as I said, I think there's a good point there that. Um about how much does Madeline know about her father's work? Because at the start of the film, mm-hmm. um, she refers to him as a doctor. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. It would be interesting to dive into that backstory a little bit and see at what point did she, is, is it her meeting with Safin that sort of confirms that her father's not a doctor and then all this stuff that she's kind of had in her life, maybe like the fox gloves that she's come to appreciate for one thing, she realizes another motive behind them. Yeah, uh, I mean, but she she was pretty handy with uh, a handgun at the start. So well, yeah, she knows the, a handgun. That, that may have uh, got her thinking for a while. Uh, and she knows about the tea later on as well. So there must have been a mm-hmm. point where she studied her father's work. Or I just Is, thought she was bluffing. I thought she was like, bluffing thought, as well. Yeah, I thought she was she's just bluffing like, as well. There's poison in this tea. He's like, oh no, <laughs> smack. <laughs> oh no, I no because, no, because he says before he makes a drink, he, Safin has a line about something about um, she needs to see more or something. We're going to make her see more or we're going to make her well, see actually, properly. The, and that's the, why it takes the plant that's in. I think the plant in the tea is the one that he points to Matilda and says, this is the one that makes you behave yourself. And then you see it later on in, in Madeline's tea. That's the uh, one that she's being made to drink. So it's obviously one that would control her behavior in some, some respect. That's a good spot, Tom. Yeah. yeah Thank that you was, for that. that. That was a very good spot. Yeah, man. I so it was a second watch pick up that one. Definitely. <laughs> oh, man. I do agree with you, Lisa. Though. I think she's bluffing to Primo about blinding him because he's only Ooh. got one eye left. I think mm-hmm. that's yeah. Oh yeah, she's yeah. she's just fucking with him, and that and that would also explain why he doesn't go blind, right? Yeah, when he when he, when he gets it in the eye. Um, yeah. Can I mention something about Madeline at this point? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just back in Norway, taking it back to then, uh, it's only occurred to me a few days afterwards or recently that the toy she's playing with, the Tamagotchi, and this is something I think uh, Lisa was talking about possibly before. The Tamagotchi toy is a toy where you're nurturing a child, you're looking after a child. And so then that ties into the reason that she's reminiscing at that time is because she's pregnant and she's thinking about uh, and it all ties together. Uh, and it's really, I think it's quite a neat, like, you know, it could have been any toy really, but it's a Tamagotchi because she's yeah. thinking about nurturing. And I thought that was a really neat, like little touch that didn't occur to me at all. Well, mm. like a couple of days ago, which I thought was wow, really neat. That's really, that is excellent. And it's also the kind of the Tamagotchi's neglect that signals um, Saturn, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's questions of like parental neglect in that as well. And, and, and maybe not making the same choices and mistakes that your, your parents had, you know, um, because it's clear, it's very clear that, you know, she, with her upbringing, like her mother was probably not the best mum in the world, um, and 
her dad wasn't particularly a great role model. So I think, you know, when I, I think that ties into a lot of her decision making around whether she whether she's going to tell what she's going to do. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think she's obviously going to I think she was always going to keep keep the baby. And I think but the, her questions around when she was going to tell Bond and I, I think that that often ties into after he came like, back from like, the graveyard. That was the, that's what she said. Yes, but but my point is this: is like he had to let go of of his potential, um, part, like the fully let go of his past to not be right. the the killer, the bad, the possible bad father that he might be until he let go of that. So that's yeah, I'm not I'm not sure after 15 years and God knows how many references in Daniel Kleinman title sequences <laughs> that just burning a little note would do that for him. <laughs> yeah, you know, like. That's some deep shit that he's got to get rid of, not not yeah. just visiting a grave and burning a note and like I'll never think of her again. So. Well, I've got a bit of uh, cod philosophy to go with the, the Craig era, which I've sort of uh, summed up. You know, this whole Kubler-Ross stages of grief, yeah. like it's five stages, it's five Daniel Craig films, and the fifth one is acceptance. Uh, and uh, so when you look at the second, second stage, which is anger, you know, you've got Quantum of Solace, the fourth one is depression, which is how everyone felt watching Spectre. Um, <laughs> I like Spectre. <laughs> I actually, actually, I rewatched it for, for in preparation for watching No Time to Die mm. the second time and found it quite enjoyable, actually. So, um, mm. yeah. But anyway, that's my sort of cod when, philosophy for it. When, when you said cod yeah. philosophy, I thought you meant Call of Duty. And <laughs> it was going to be Daniel Craig presses F to pay respects. <laughs> <laughs> But I think I, I think this film there's a lot in this film about um, you know him being an older gentleman and 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 a melan melancholy period of his life where he does learn to accept you know the value of life and all those sorts of things. So I think there is something in it, and him burning the note. It is 15 years of him processing it almost, and it's it's finding Madeline that makes him move on. Um, I like yeah, that too. I, yeah, I, I think if you say I miss you. That's not you. Um, that's not closure. That's you admitting that there's still that hole. So, yeah. But maybe that's part of accepting it is <laughs> is saying that you know you'll always miss someone, but you're it's it's time to move on. I don't know. Mm. It's yeah. Be, I agree. It, because it, in fact, m maybe maybe what he should have done at this stage is say uh, something along the. Uh, I, I can't. I can't think exactly but something along the lines of the bitch is dead but say it directly to her that's a bit cold <laughs> okay <laughs> my, my point was like if, if he's going there to close that chapter of his life fully saying i miss you is not 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 it well you should you should just have a tinkle is, <laughs> yeah. is, is, is it that he's closing it off fully though or is it that he's just finally letting madeline in on that aspect of his life, I, mm. I, I like what I like what Tom said. I, I, I feel like one first of all, his cult philosophy is actually not too too bad. Um, I, I I quite like this this whole arc. I've said it before in one of the other podcasts where I, where I said that I felt like this No Time to Die actually kind of re reframes a lot of the things that have happened in the previous films and somehow makes them better. And I would say that because of this kind of 
lovely arc that we've got now and this kind of proper bookend to it, um, it does make you feel like there is a journey from, you know, Casino and Quantum onward. And, and it feels like it's not ham-fistedly retconned. It feels much more organic than, say, Spectre's retconning did. Anyway, that's my... I have a couple thoughts just to sort of throw in. Um, first, I have never lost um, a partner, a spouse, or or somebody very close to me that I was in love with. So I don't really know what the grieving process is. And so I think it's just we have to be careful about like when we talk about his connection with Vesper, because I think that shows a level of humanity and that people sometimes never fully get over people that they've lost in their life. They might always miss them. So I think that there's there's a reality check here about the way that people form attachments. But I also think then my second point is that it factors into James Bond and the way that he loves. It's this notion of, of he might not love very often, lust is different, uh, but when he loves, he loves deeply. So this idea that he still has this, this love and he misses Vesper Lynn shows that when he connects with somebody, he loves deeply. And then we find later on the film when he talks about Madeline Swan and however many years have passed, and he says, I've always loved you. It's been enduring. And we have these questions because we don't see him sleeping with other women on screen we see you know these these uh, these potential hookups but they never actually happen with Nomi and Paloma both women being like this is not going to happen and Bond being uncertain in those spaces which sends me the message that he's out of practice but I think it's just it's really interesting because both that and his continuing love for Madeline really factor into this this notion that when he loves he loves incredibly deeply and that shows a level um of of depth to him and of course then that feeds into the end of the story when he chooses in many ways to 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 pull a vesperlin right vesperlin she she could have survived but she chose to to die in order to save james bond in a very water watery grave way and then bond literally makes the same type of choice at the end of the film so he's connected so th- these ideas of, of of the ending of of sort of the tomb and the way that daniel craig chooses to his character chooses to die are very much bookending mm. the films for me very mm. well said lisa very, his very body well also said. gets blown up into lots of pieces just like <laughs> that is true there's the blow up at the beginning and the blow up at the end right i i, yeah. I think that's a that's a really lovely way to to look at it lisa and i think that that's you know maybe he gets in that in that moment just before he you know, when he makes that decision that he can understand Vesper a bit more, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and allow, and, and, you know, this whole kind of search for forgiveness for her for, for that, he can kind of maybe go, I get it. And I, you know, and that, in, in a few seconds has that, um, you know, that closure, so to speak. And he can give, in many ways, Madeline Swan the closure that he couldn't get. He couldn't have a conversation with her because he was mad and there was a chase sequence and then she was underwater. They had the moment of touching uh, to say goodbye, but he never really got it from her. Instead, we have sort of the lines from M trying to contextualize it and Bond struggling with it afterwards. But at least because of the phone call, Nomi handing the phone over, you have a sense of connection between the two of them, him being able to say, this is the reason why her gaining Mm -hmm. some form of understanding. She might not like it. She might not want it to happen. She obviously doesn't and she's going to be hurt for a very long time about it and then it gives even more credence to when she talks to her daughter at the end and says you know this is the story of bond james bond 
we expect her to keep loving him and telling mm. the story. So then why do we expect James Bond when he loves somebody to let that person go? It's a good question. Um, and I think it's not necessarily about um, letting go of, um, of, the, of that person, but maybe letting go of, of the pain that gets associated around yeah. it. Um, and I think one of the things that you see with Madeline is that she's not, she's not suffering uh, from his loss. She's, she's in pain from his loss, but she's not. Bond, Bond has suffered for these, these five films, right? Also, and you know that that that's the that's the sort of substantial differences I think that she can remember him fondly, um, without without carrying that weight of of um, regret and pain and all of the other things that that are I guess have negative associations. Wow, we ended up going deep. I was opening this podcast thinking we we're going to talk about pains. <laughs> we can talk, talk about, about that too. <laughs> <laughs> I just just quickly on that Tom, right? Um and and I guess for everybody, uh it it's interesting, isn't it? The 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 eyeball kind of thing is very kind of classic classic bond in the sense of it being like sort of very out there technology and very kind of um hyper realistic but fun um and a neat neat kind of idea it it did feel to me that having blofeld's tech even though it's completely unrealistic and and, and unfeasible um it 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 wasn't i felt i liked it I, how did anyone else feel about the kind of the, I, the technology i felt uh, they nicked it from goldeneye rogue agent the game <laughs> <laughs> I, I i hated it uh, I, I, it's it's one of the aspects of the film that it it just it pulls me out of the it, it pulls me out because it, it's just um, so ridiculous. so <laughs> so ridiculous absolutely yeah, yeah. and uh, and it and it, it does you know it reminds me more of Austin Powers so for, for me it's more more a parody of Bond than actual right. Bond but um, you know it. I, and until until that point, I, I was I was loving the film. Then there, there's this stupid thing with the eyeball on the cushion, and they're just kind of waving it around. It's like, what the hell can he actually see when it's? He must be getting seasick. Oh, the motion sick, the motion sickness in that must be just awful. Like the the vomit in Blofeld's mm. cell would just be like. <laughs> just how, does, how does he charge the eyeball up in Belmarsh? Um, <laughs> A USB port. Wait, he puts it in the eye socket. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's friction. Every time he blinks his eyes, it creates oh, like a, a perpetual, like a yeah. like a perpetual yeah, engine in it. Yeah, I I think you just have to suspend your disbelief, don't you? Yes. I mean, it, that's that's the only <laughs> thing you can say about the eyeball. I thought James, you said a really funny thing, which is it's like the ambassador's reception. Yes. Maybe lost on our American uh, listeners, right. but um but <laughs> <laughs> was hilarious. Yeah, I, I, um, I, 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 I did wonder when he got it installed. Was it before he got blown yes, up inspector? That, 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 make, that makes no inspector? sense too. Yeah. Oh. How the hell uh did he get fitted with a bionic eye? Yeah. 
Did someone smuggle it into prison? And if so, how? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Did well, nobody, uh, then nobody noticed that he suddenly had an eye. It's a bit of a stink eye. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I suspect what happened was, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this just so it makes everyone go, oh, okay. Um, he had the helicopter accident, right? Where he clearly yeah. was blinded, right? And, or no, it was the, it was the other expl- the explosion that kind of yes. changed the eye, right? He, so, he was already half blind in, in the helicopter. So yeah. He's, yeah, but so he's already half blind in the helicopter. Either from, from the point where Bond blows him up in, in the desert, right? And he escapes. He's like, somebody's got to do something about this eye because this is, this is rubbish, right? Get, get on that immediately. Or, right, when he's, when he's had the, 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 the accident in the helicopter and his head didn't burn off for some reason, uh, which I thought would have been a really bu- much better cool thing to have. Um, then they, they take him to hospital, and one of the one of the Spectre agents who works in that hospital, um, who who you know we'll see later on uh, in in Cuba for some reason, um, because everybody went. They 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 do it then. That's what I say. And did Primo have no one eye at the time or did he have to take his eye out to become the other side of it no it's exactly that right it's like with um like the yakuza or certain sort of mafia families you know you have to you have to prove your your loyalty so he's got to have a an enucleation as they call it oh god i just wonder if spectre like have this like um all hands meeting once a year where they announce the new eyeball 13 with a 12 megapixel <laughs> camera. <laughs> Superior playback. Kinetic, kinetically charged. Well, okay. What if Blofeld actually already had a bionic eye and it got a bit damaged in the explosion, which is why his eye was glassy, but in prison he just polished up the lens a bit. That could work. I don't yeah. see why not. I don't know how I can't get Wi-Fi in the corner of my house, but Blofeld can get Wi-Fi in Belmarsh Prison. Yeah, you'd think that it would act as some kind of Faraday cage with all that metalwork around, but... Um... Mm. I like his impossibly slow-moving chair, though. Uh... Oh, I, I love that. I love that. I, I don't know if you can remember, Tom, in the premiere, so everyone was watching that, and everyone was kind of like on the edge of their seat, and I was just chuckling like a maniac. Just sort of watching that cage coming towards, I find that hilarious, and I don't know why. I'm just imagining Tanner like turning this big wheel, (laughs) (laughs) cranking, cranking it. Yeah, I saw I saw that sequence um, because uh, Universal or or whoever released uh, a number of scenes online prior for for press, and uh, I, I I was I was looking through them. That was one of them, and. And it's like, oh, God, no, I'm not going to look at any of the other ones. I, I think that was the only one I looked at. Oh, I think it's, <laughs> just, it's wonderful, it's, though. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Everything about Blofeld in this movie is so ridiculous, and I love that. That's the, that like, I, I feel like Blofeld as a character, when you look back at his plans, they are big and stupid and ridiculous, and you're kind of like, how the hell did you do that? How the hell did you mine out the inside of a volcano kind of thing? Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for that. Like, yeah. The wackier, the better. But why wasn't there a glass partition? That's, that's for me. That's the only part of no, it. Was, it was. It was. It went up. It went up or down. It moved. Yeah, it goes, yeah. There, there was. It went down. Yeah. Yeah. It dropped. Yeah. Just, just at the right time for him to grab. Yes. It. Yeah. <laughs> right. Why? Why have it at all then? 
you know that begs the question mm -hmm. and was that a callback to was that a weird callback to to the novel um golden gone gun. gun with the with the screen when when bond inadvertently poisons yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Because, but they, they, they'd already, they already did the nod to the man with the golden gun in um, that film that I can't remember the name of. Uh, the, the last one with Pierce Brosnan. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah and and <laughs> I think it's already been mentioned on the. <laughs> uh, uh, the quota now. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I see. I see what you're saying, David. The um, the bit in the uh, the 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 ship. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, okay. uh, Purvis and Wade went on record saying that that's what had inspired uh, them. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I as didn't far know as that. I remember. Yeah. Okay. A, a reading MI6 confidential. And and and, and you, you know, we all know that they only have to make one reference once ever, and that's it. That's it. You know, they'll never. They'll never. They'll mention a movie once. And then, then that will be gone. They'll never, they'll never bring like say the, the DB five back eight hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it has been eight hundred times in the last, uh, well, four out of the last five films. Yeah, which what would be really great is you know like from the behind the scenes, you saw that there were all those obviously action DB fives that were in, mm -hmm. in Matera. And like, what would be really good is if like he got like halfway through the chase, and like one of the cars was like a bit bashed up, and he like then they got out and they got into another one, and, <laughs> and, they, yeah. and, and they just went through all five of the DB fives in that chase. It's like, yeah. good thing I got these done by Q. The other thing, Ben, is can you imagine um, if you were filming that in public, and then you closed down everybody who was um, sharing publicly filmed footage i know it still, it still gets gets me it's still hilarious that um <laughs> that then that then also that they then used that same footage by somebody else and claimed it as their own and, you know, it's, it's like oh, yeah um put a cease and desist out <laughs> um because that whole um that whole law that came into into effect to just to, to stop um you know the digital uh Music. DMCA. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> you knew that. You knew what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. um, but that actually came into effect to to work the other way around, and not the right. way. The, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, I, I've used I've used D, uh, DCMA. D, D, no, yeah. DMCA. God. I've used it. Uh, I've used it because I, you know, with people stealing content, and uh, it it is. Uh, it works pretty quickly because people are scared when they when they get uh, a notice. But you can uh, steal how you want to steal. <laughs> but the, the, the funny thing is that um, I, I, I was sharing stuff on Twitter that had been shared on Twitter, and I, I was I was sharing it with permission as well. Right. But then um, the there was yeah there the, the, you know. That all got closed down. Those tweets removed. But I'd put stuff on YouTube, and when Hollywood Reporter reported on this, uh, they embedded my video, and mm -hmm. the number of uh, of views of that went through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what's funny though, David? Is they were shooting the DB5 stuff, which was going to be used for all the publicity, all the trailers, and everything, mm -hmm. and, they were, and they were shutting down people's. Cell phone cameras from like the buildings and everything. Yeah, however, it was. It however, was just... film comes out, 
and you can upload the ending to YouTube, and it stays up. Oh, God. So they're not they're not been really good at policing the pirated stuff going mm. on. On YouTube's easy to get rid of. So yeah. gun barrels are up there. The whole last ten minutes of the film are on YouTube. It's like. Yeah, oh, I, I, I once did a video and I, I was standing in front of a poster of um, On a Majesty's Secret Service and MGM uh, filed a copy, copyright complaint against me. And it's like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's, uh, it, get, it, it gets very petty uh, mm. sometimes with, with all that stuff. Um, but... I, I was saying good things about your film. <laughs> <laughs> Was Jesus, it, uh, was it was it the man with the golden gun that you were talking about? <laughs> Sorry, uh, um, but, that's not that's but, not the only one I talk uh, good things about. about. Let's mm. circle let's circle back to the movie. <laughs> All right, I'll throw a random one in for you. Then Wallace and Gromit, <laughs> which we see in the beginning because Matilda's watching it on TV, and it's the wrong trousers with the evil mm-hmm. penguin. Well. In the wrong trousers, the evil penguins plot to rob the museum, which if you substitute for the bio lab, is to use electromagnets. Mm. So did they nick the idea from the wrong wrong trousers? (laughs) Or did they think, ah, we should put the wrong trousers in the movie? Because, I don't know, was it for deliberate foreshadowing or am I reading too much into that? They must have thought about it, surely. Um, I do have a little bit of insight about the wrong trousers in that in this section, actually, because a friend of mine works, his wife works in uh, licensing in films. Ah. So the company that she works for worked on No Time to Die, and they had to look to license footage for that specific scene. And I, can t- I, don't, I don't know how much I can say, but I know that the wrong trousers wasn't the first thing that they looked to get. Um, what ah. they, wanted, they originally wanted to get wasn't available. So that's ah. all I can say. But it does work well, I think. Although it's got a better train scene than well, this is not a train scene, but it's got, <laughs> it's got a better train scene than uh, the Daniel Craig films. But there you go. So, did anybody else have any remaining tidbits of things? I, I have lots of little things. I'm I'm going through. Sorry, I'm doing something really nerdy right now, and I'm trying because while we were talking about um, die another day, Bing. there we go. Um, thank you. <laughs> Because I've got a, I've got a reference, another reference for, for, to Die Another Day from No Time to Die in here, which is when uh, they're in Norway and he uses a wire to take out the cars. Um, he does a similar thing in Die Another Day to take the guys off snowmobiles. Mm. Mm. Um, and then so and then I, then that got me thinking that is there a reference to every Bond film in here somewhere? It's not painfully obvious. So I'm, I'm trying to be compiling the list. I've got a few. Well, there's a there's there's more dying of the day because there's the Delectados mm-hmm. cigars, which Felix has right, which is from Cuba and dying of the day, mm-hmm. and then there's also the way that Nomi was going to extract scientist, which the zip line up into the ceiling, which was Jinx in dying of the day. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw somebody online thinking that there's deliberate references to the actors' final films in this versus just random Bond films. It's like there's, oh. it's stuff to the last mm. ones. Mm. And what's I don't the link know about to that. Diamonds are forever. What's that? Yeah. That's the one that everyone's looking for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or is it never say never again? Yeah. Mm. Uh, wait, what was Daniel Craig wearing a wig in this? 
Uh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to. I'll come back to you one day in a future podcast about that. Can I mention something uh, before we wrap up? Yes. Which mm-hmm. is the, the use of the smart blood. Oh. <laughs> and I know okay. obviously there's a lot of complaints about why this was used, but did you notice mm. that when you cut to Q after Bond dies, his vitals are on the screen behind him and you see mm-hmm. the flat lining? And so okay. that's why we have the smart blood. Um, for that very reason, so we can see that he is definitively dead at that point. Right. Interestingly, I only noticed. I didn't notice that when I saw it on a normal screen. And it did. It's a very. It's kind. It's a very background thing, isn't it? Like behind Q's yeah. head, and he goes. It says offline or something on the screen. Well, they've got a they've got a defibrillator in the car. I could just use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it it doesn't work. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, that's right. Mm. You'll have to get somebody to. I mean, you know, a, a, he might he might look a bit charred. Um, <laughs> could yeah, could, work, just a... could, could I throw out a reference here <laughs> yeah. um, that I saw? It's actually four references in one. So I was thinking about Paloma's costuming, and I know I've mm-hmm. touched on some of these, but like, there's one that I really want to focus in on. So her dress reminds me of Anya Amasova from The mm-hmm. Spy Who Loved Me. The garter belt on her leg reminds me of Pam Bouvier from License to Kill. Mm-hmm. Her necklace reminds me of Paris Carver from Tomorrow Never Dies. And her silver tie-up stiletto heels remind me of the woman in the iconic poster for For Your Eyes Only, where she's mm-hmm. wearing the bikini bottoms, her legs, but she has silver stiletto heels. And I've always wondered, like, who the heck wears silver stiletto heels with a with a bikini? But I feel as though, like, even in this one person's character, character and her representation there are at least that i've seen right now four different references to iconic images associated with with women in the franchise mm. and, and after bond left cuba she just put on her bikini and went to the beach anyway so that's it i had that one on my notes too i didn't quite get all of those though that's really really good um I'd, I'd noted down about the diamonds because I think actually t- Tomorrow Never Dies, Paris Carver's the last time we see a Bond girl wearing diamonds as jewellery before mm. this. And mm. there was a, mm-hmm. there's an interview somewhere where Anna Darmus talks about picking out her own diamonds. Um, it's a bit of a promo thing, but it's a nice little nod for anyone that's interested in that. I think their relationship also reminded me a little bit of Pam Bouvier's and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, that, that, that she's kind of got this, she's... Um, Pam is Pam is sort of represented as both kind of like a an experienced agent, but she also has this kind of like vulnerability and fragility within that as well. And I think that's kind of like played out with Paloma a little bit. But that's I kind of I just got I got that sense of that was more her her character, you know that that that's that's who I kind of thought of when I when I saw their chemistry together. I was kind of thinking of Pam and uh, and Bond in that respect. Uh, but you're absolutely right. The dress is um, very, very reminiscent of uh, uh, Anya Massivus. Did everybody? Does everybody agree? Speaking of like the whole Cuba, uh, Jamaica, Cuba thing, does everybody agree that Logan Ash's demise was a reference to Furos only, or is it just something they did that's coincidental? No, I, I think it's completely intentional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and I said this to you uh, before as, as well, James. Uh, that I think it's, it's a, I think it's a double reference. Um, 
in in a way. Um, and I can't remember what the other one was. Right, it's, the, it's, it's the whole. This is for for, for Felix, right? This yeah. is for Felix. Oh yeah, um, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. So it which had is that- licensed to kill finale. Yes, yes. So I think I, I felt that there was definitely the for your eyes only aspect of it, but I felt like that that there was also kind of that um, don't you want to know why moment as well. There's a there's a nice bit of a, a very kind of little bait and switch there when he talks about I had a brother and I, I don't know about anyone else but I thought kind of oh maybe he's going to say Blofeld and then he says Felix and that felt mm. like yeah, quite rewarding I, when he's when he said it Sean I I was wondering where, whether he was going to actually be literal or whether he was mm-hmm. going to mention Felix and so I, I was I was happy that he mentioned Felix mm-hmm. yeah, yeah the fe- stiff back there I mean your brother. Yeah. Um, can I can I run through dead quick while I've got on my list? Just yeah. like mm-hmm. quick fire. Um, there's I've got more like loads more stuff to jot about somewhere and other stuff and various filmmaking stuff. Um, but what have we got here? So at the start, the guns under the sink next to the bleach, which is a Spectre mention. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, throughout the film, I thought it was really interesting. Madeline's costume. I think we briefly tipped, touched upon it, but apart from the red dress, every 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 other costume she has is either black or white and there's kind of an interesting theme thematic thing going off where um when madeline's dressed in white it's kind of the sequences where you don't trust her and then when madeline's dressed in black it's kind of the sequences where she becomes a bit more of a sympathetic character so there's kind of a bit more confusion an inversion of of what you associate with the colors as well yeah so like yeah an inversion of the connotations essentially that you normally (laughs) take being that white's innocent black's quite (laughs) dangerous um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, the title sequence, there's tons of stuff as ever, um, but the the few that stuck out to me were the um, there's the imagery of a flower growing on a sort of a woman's body mm-hmm. and the tat- flower tattoo, mm-hmm. and then there's flowers people later on, which is obviously probably a reference to Madeline's pregnancy. Um, and then immediately just before that, uh, something I picked up on a later watch. Um, I think it's it's more apparent on a later watch that Madeline's secret is that she's pregnant. Um, but there's a lovely touch when they're on the train and as the train's pulling out, just as the door closes, she's got a hand on her stomach. Um, so that there's a nice little kind of acting nod there. Right. Um, and then elsewhere in the title sequence, uh, there's a there's a diver, and I don't know if that's a nice little thunderball nod, like a shadowy diver, uh, which is I did think was kind of interesting since there's no other diving really in the movie anywhere um and then of course flashbacks to all the other films with their faces which i knew was going to be there as soon as we heard the song and i think everyone did anyway um in cuba um something that really interesting with the music um that sequence is one of the best musical sequences for me through the film it's absolutely brilliant yes Um, but what's really what i've noticed re-listening to it and re-watching the sequence is that the approach to the music has kind of split up into three different ways um so you get paloma's sort of when the attention's on paloma um there's a lot of sort of trumpets there's kind of like the latin influence there when the attention's on bond you get that sort of bombastic that dum 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 and it's really it's kind of like the aggressive elements of the james bond theme and then when you, the focus is on know me the music's a lot more in a way i'm describing this terribly but kind of like sneakier um and so it's kind of like the music represents like their approaches to that scene and their approaches to tackling this mission which i thought was really cool um there's also of course lots of nomi staying in the shadows um and how she moves about the scene and 
direct contrast to Bond, who kind of goes through and goes back to that sort of blunt instrument approach. I like that Nomi has a sort of more mm-hmm. sneaky tactical approach to things. Um, what else have I got here? Uh, one about Bond, it's, it's very literal sort of interpretation that Bond ascends at the end. Um, and that probably there's tons of religious imagery in Craig's Bond anyway, but that's another one mm. to add to that list. Uh, I think we've tackled that. We'd, uh, the Living Daylights is really lovely. The car and the the license plate to the car is the same as mm. Living Daylights, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the reference, again, I mentioned it earlier, but the final shot is um, headlights fading away. And obviously mm, that's yeah. a lyric from Living Daylights. Um, mm. And then just various things. I, I could talk about the score for hours. Um and then one random, the world is not enough reference where Bond throws his name tag in Money Penny's bin. I don't know if that's a deliberate thing or coincidental. I don't know. No, I, I, I thought so too. I, I, I didn't really kind of like jot it down as a thing, but I was definitely like, a, oh yeah, <laughs> nice little, nice little match shot. Basically, it just sort of uh, you, yeah. you could probably superimpose those two over each other. So, Sean, in the past, you well, in the past, like a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned to me um, about the trident symbol on the um, oh yes, of on course. The um, that was I <laughs> so owe that to runs the trident and um, Nomi's the shield, right? Yeah, like yeah. Um, the the like Britannia in yeah, from Britannia, yeah, from the Honor Secret Service uh, title sequence. And mm-hmm. I hadn't when I first saw the title sequence on first viewing, I was like, okay. This is on the nose. We've got the same Britannia shield and um, trident stuff in the imagery of the title sequence as we have for Majesty's title sequence, and it's purple, you mm-hmm. know, um, to go along with it. So I didn't. The first viewing, I didn't catch the whole. Oh yeah, Bond's the trident thing until the until I, you mentioned it. I, I can't take credit for that one. I owe that to Joff, who I think mentioned it to me and you, Tom, when we came out of the premiere. Um, that he right. spotted that first time around, which was really interesting. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of things over many viewings that will be even even sweeter little easter eggs to hunt down and find um i think uh, i think we talked once before about the um the extra who you know the um the asian extra with the long white hair whose brother was uh, one of the card players in casino royale right um but he's subsequently cameoed in all the all the other kind of Bond outings. Am I right in saying that? And he's he's uh, in the Spectre meeting. Oh, he is. Yeah. yeah he's so there's there's so it's a it's a pair of brothers, um, and one of the, and as I say the 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 I think it's Mr. I can't remember what the, the character's name is. Uh, uh in in Casino Royale, it's Fugu or something. But, yeah, something like that. But I think. So it's it's his brother that plays this kind of extra who's often in the background in Spectre meetings. Uh, um, yeah. And interesting that he is visible in the uh, in the in the Spectre lineup. Speaking of that mm. Britannia thing, I just looked it up. That Britannia iconography mm. of the Trident was designed in 1969 for the 50 pence piece yeah. in the UK. Yeah. So it was the year of Honor Majesty's that design was done by the Royal Mint. So extra things harking back to 1969. Oh, I don't know. Why did they design it? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) What? I have no idea. (laughs) The coin coin came out with the new design and then the Majesty's title sequence used it in that order. Mm -hmm. Also, it... What what, what would that have been? 
there there must be some significance to this and something big. Um, Also makes me think Stay tuned, folks. We'll have a whole episode about it. Also, a trident is uh, associated with the Navy, and he's a Mm. naval commander. Uh, Neptune, of course, yeah. She might come from uh, more like the SAS side of things rather than the SBS, so that would make her army and a shield. Ah, yeah, because Craig's Um, Craig's bond is from the SBS. um, Yep. In his his updated bio. Yeah. And the colors definitely reflect the color palettes that they're wearing um, when they're doing their big meeting where he's wearing blue and she's wearing the burnt orangey color that she's wearing. It would be good if they'd had more bisexual lighting, to be honest with you. I'd have preferred that, but can't have everything. Uh, okay, uh, uh, a question about uh, Bond's costume at the end of the film. Okay, and uh, that is, uh, N. Peel describes it as a navy um, army sweater. Navy navy blue army, but it isn't. Why don't they just call it a navy jumper? Well, it's also not, it's also not a, an army sweater because that neck is a, a maritime neck right uh, so it's it is supposed to be naval um and um those those um those sweaters they get issued to you like i had one as as a cadet and they they they, they come in those three colors right they come in like the you know the, the navy blue for the for the um the navy and we got a, a kind of a, a mid blue for the RAF and the uh, army guys got green. So yeah, it's an, it's supposed to be navy, isn't it? On that bombshell. <laughs> so, is, there, is, there, is there any um is there is it ever was there any mention of uh, the watch that Nomi gets? I'm I'm intrigued. I'm going to keep an eye out for the next watch. Does she get the same watch as Bond? Is that like a standard issue thing? I I I don't know the answer to that. Um I think I it's think... just a secondary style to sell more watches. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I guess it would be the case. Yeah, I, I'm sure that can't be the case. No, they'd, uh, they'd I'm waiting do. for the Royal Dalton QT set. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and I I just did an IMDb. Um, it's Fukutu in Casino Royale. Ah, Fukutu, uh, yeah. Which sounds like an Austin Powers name, doesn't it? It's like it fuck does. you too. No, Fukutu. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. It definitely does. Well. Um, <laughs> I, I I I don't know if you want to do this, and we can do this another day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't snigger. Uh, but I, I I do have a list of the drinks in the film. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll do it another time, though. Uh, yeah, all right. Bye. We'll do another time. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I, David, David, we'll do, we'll do it right, and like we'll do it beforehand, and I'll just drink them in order that you talk about them, right? Mm. And at the end of the podcast, I'll give my my feedback on <laughs> whether I can yeah. actually stand. And <laughs> at, at, at the end of the podcast, you need to take a photo because I'm sure you'll have the purple skin tone that Sean was talking about. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. Can I add one final thing? Go for one it. final thing. This is I, I'm stealing this from someone else. It's from Stu Rolls, who uh, friend of the show. Yeah. Um, uh, the way Bond dies, uh, the sky falls on him. 
Uh, which uh, mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was, I think, is um, I might be stretching it a bit, but I think it's uh, I think it's great. And on that laser-guided missile bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> We will see you next week. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Bye. 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 James Bond won't, though. Can <laughs> <laughs> we just call it and friends now? <laughs> friends. James Bond and the people who used to know him. <laughs> Podcast. What do you say at the beginning now? Do you not say James Bond is away on assignment? What do you say? Like you say James Bond and the people who fondly remember him. Uh, <laughs> James Bond's been blown to fuck. <laughs> Spoilers in the headlines. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.